Luke chapter 13, verse number 1. We read, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. The people here, as I suppose they've often done, they confront Jesus with a question that in it had more questions than their question. Why would these just men of Galilee, who appear to be taking their sacrifices and performing their worship to God, be murdered, be brutally massacred by Pilate to where their blood was then mingled with the blood of their own sacrifices. I suppose it was a controversial question to trip up Jesus as the people often did. And as Jesus was accustomed to not avoiding a question but often just plunging right into the matter, he asks another question or, or considers a thing in verse number 4. And brings up another current event and says, Are those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? He gives a couple suppositions and says, What if perhaps these two occurrences were not mere accidents, they weren't mere just men being killed without mercy, but instead, what if they were sinners above all men? These Galileans, sinners above all other Galileans, these whom the 18 who were slew in this tower, what if they were receiving their just desert from the Almighty? I suppose it was a thought that the people hadn't thought of yet. But he asks the same, or makes the same statement in verse 3 and verse 5 to really turn this situation and confront the people with. In verse 3, he says, I tell you, nay... But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Again, he he repeats it in verse 5. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He says, suppose these were wicked men, far more wicked than you are. But except ye repent, ye too will perish. We're going to put our focus on the story that precedes this incident with Christ here, but I want to take those couple words he begins with in verse 3 and verse 5 as our thought for this evening, except ye. He says, except ye repent. He turned the conversation, he turned the discussion toward them, and he said, you're going to have to personalize this for yourself. And except ye, there was consequences. So except ye, let's think on that. This evening, Father, I thank you for the Word of God that teaches us, instructs us, and encourages us. May your people be encouraged tonight by what we say and do, and may you get the glory for it all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This responsibility, as well as the punishment, was left to these people. I believe this word, this statement, this phrase rings loud and clear for us. It resounds in our ears, and he says, except ye. All throughout the scriptures you find instances or opportunities for men to repent or to rebel. But always the finality of it was upon them. They were required to make the decision. Today, I believe, we 
stand in the same judgment. We're required to make the decision for ourselves. Let's look at this parable that we come to in verse 6. Though it appears to and really can stand by itself, it seems to fall into a perfect conjunction with the previous story. In verse 6 he says, it says, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree, uh, a fig tree planted in his uh, vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find nothing. Or if he says, I find none, cut it down. Why cumbrous it the ground? And he, this is the dresser, the caretaker of the vineyard, he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. For if it bear fruit, well, and if it not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. So if you can get the picture, this Lord, as it calls him in another place in the story, the Lord of the vineyard, he comes walking through his, his orchard or his vineyard and beholds this, vine, uh, this, this fig tree, and he's been keeping tabs on this fig tree for three years. This is the third season that he's come to the tree, and it's yet to bear any fruit. If you know anything about raising crops, especially orchards and trees, you know that typically the first couple years, there's a very limited amount of bearing for fruit trees. But by the third year especially, there should have been something, some form of life on this tree, some evidence that it would begin to bear fruit, even if it was a very small amount. But he says, I've come three years, year after year after year, this third year, and it, 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 it bears nothing, absolutely nothing is upon this tree. And he goes to the dresser, this man who cared for the garden. This would have been the, the servant in this, this orchard, and he says, have you noticed this fig tree? I don't, know, I don't know why it's still here. Cut it down. Get rid of it. Remove it. Let's replace it with something that will bear fruit. And if you know anything about a man who takes care of a garden or an orchard, he's rather sympathetic for his trees. The hardest part of raising crops is pruning them. Nobody wants, no caretaker wants to prune his orchard. But pruning is a requirement for bearing fruit. No one wants to remove plants because there's a hopeful anticipation in the heart of the dresser. He just wants it to, he wants it to bear fruit so badly, he'll let a tree stand there until it dies of old age, regardless of how much fruit it's born. But the Lord, the master of the vineyard, sees the fact that it's producing no profit for him. And he says, dresser, what's the matter with this tree? It hasn't borne fruit for three years. It's about time. Let's cut it down. And the sympathetic dresser, the, the gardener here, he says, Lord, can we just give it one more chance? Can we give it one more opportunity? Let me do a couple things. Let me dig about it. Maybe the soil that's in the ground here, maybe the, there's some kind of contaminant. So maybe there's something that's prohibiting growth and life from this tree. Let me remove some of the soil, and I'll, as the Bible calls it, dung, and I'll fertilize it. I'll remove this possibly poor soil. There were no t soil testers then. Poor soil will be removed. I'll get some what I know to be you know, good organic material, replace this soil, and let's give it one more year. And he says, after all, in verse number 9, if it bear fruit well, and if not, 
Then after that, thou shalt cut it down. He says, what's it going to hurt if I give it one more chance? One more year won't hurt that much. And though the story ends right there, we can assume that the Lord said, all right, let's give it another chance. A good story, Jesus tells. I would love to have heard the stories of Christ. A good storyteller, I believe him to be. But all of his stories had a purpose and a point behind them. I think we can easily consider that the Lord of the vineyard is none other than the Lord himself. You you know Psalm 24, as it says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. God's not only the keeper of this vineyard, He's the keeper of all vineyards. He's the Lord of the church, He's the Lord of the home, He's the Lord of you. Whether you refuse Him or receive Him, He's still Lord. If you don't believe me, wait to the end, as the song the choir sang, the, the righteous shall be turned uh, and, and receive their, their just reward, but the unjust, the unrighteous, shall receive their condemnation. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is the Lord. We see it very clearly throughout Scripture, and I don't think I need to convince many of you of that. Then we have the vineyard. I think we could put several different categories here and and call the vineyard. It could be the world itself. It could be a person or a place. It could be a thing in your life. The vineyard could be the church, the group of people here. We have the vineyard. We have maybe a a specific area or a general area. Then we have the dresser in verse 7. The dresser could be Jesus himself as he stood as the advocate between us and God. He stood and redeemed man and held back the hand of God from removing the tree. I think the dresser could be you. It could be a pastor. It could be a teacher. It could be a friend. It could be a leader of some organization who has a desire for what we come to finally, this tree, this, this olive tree that's failing to bear fruit. You say, what is the tree? It's that which has value, let it lacks its potential. There's value within the tree, but its, its potential isn't being found yet. could be a relationship, or a person, a friend, a ministry. could be a goal that you have. It could be you personally, or the calling of God on your life. It's an area of your life that has potential but that potential isn't being seen. It, it's, it's underachieving what it has the potential to achieve. We find a few things in this, this story that briefly I just want to consider. First of all, God is the final judge. While He is merciful, He is just. Turn back in the Old Testament to the book of Ezekiel. If you're up to date in your Bible reading, you just recently read, yesterday I think you read Ezekiel chapter 33, And if you're staying awake while you read it, you would have read this and remembered it. If you're keeping up with your Bible reading, you probably don't remember this. (laughs) Chapter 33 and verse number 17, he says, Yet the children of thy people say, The way of the Lord is not equal. But as for them, their way is not equal. Look at this in verse 18. When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and uh, committeth iniquity... He shall even die thereby. 
But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. See, the people were saying, God, you're not equal. This isn't fair. But the prophet said, oh, no, 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 no. Your way isn't equal. See, God gave you every right to obey and every right to repent and every right to turn. And he said, if you're willing to repent, I'll show you mercy. And for the righteous, if they refuse to repent and they go back into sin, they're going to find condemnation. And he says, for the unrighteous, for the wicked, in verse 19, if they're willing to turn from their way and choose righteousness, he said, I'll forgive them. See, God's the final judge. In His mercy, there's still judgment. There's still justice. Because He can't err from His judgment. He can't uh, err from His righteousness. Here, we get the picture of Him going through His orchard and seeing this tree, this this person or this uh, ministry or even this church that is refusing to follow the standard and uh, live up to the standard of the Almighty. It's refusing to bear fruit. It's a, we might look at it in just a moment. In fact, we will go ahead and turn over there in Isaiah chapter 5. Two books before, three books before Ezekiel. Isaiah chapter 5, we'll read in just a minute. But he talks about these, these wild grapes. Another place he calls them naughty, naughty grapes. He says they were, I I planted these grapes, we'll read it in just a moment, he said, I planted these grapes and they refused to yield the the product that I desire. Instead of of yielding good, luscious, sweet uh, grapes, they've yielded sour grapes. They've they've yielded naughty grapes. They've yielded wild grapes. And And God in His judgment says, if you're unwilling to follow and and pursue what I've given you to pursue, you're going to face the consequences. You're going to face the judgment. And I know what people frequently would say to a thought like that. Well, well, that's not fair of God. That's exactly what the nation of Israel said. Well, that's not fair. But can I remind you that you don't know what fair is. God's the final judge. I'll tell you what's not fair. That sinful man could reject God. And God Almighty send His own Son to redeem you back to Him. That's not fair. It's not fair that the Almighty would send His Holy Lamb to die on an old cross for you and I. And for man to reject Him, abuse Him, and curse Him, and blaspheme Him. But God still, in His love, redeem Him. That's not fair. God's the judge. Look at Isaiah chapter number 5, verse number 1. Though we see the judgment and the mercy of God, we also see that He's the judge, but there's also a pending judgment upon this unfruitful tree. Let me just kind of jump through here. Do your best to keep up. At the end of verse 1, He says, My beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. Verse 2, He Tells all the things that he's done. He's fenced it. He's gathered out the stones. He's planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it, also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. Look at the end of verse 2. And it brought forth wild grapes. He said, I did everything I could for this vineyard, 
Yet the, vi- the, the vineyard was Israel. We find that in verse uh, down the road. We'll look at it in just a moment. A few verses down, we find it was Israel. And Israel had everything offered to them. Yet they rejected God's way. He says, verse 4, What could I have now done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? He said, What could I have done more than I've done already? I've done everything I could do for this vineyard, for this nation, for this people. But they've rejected, they refused. Verse 5 says, And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. Verse 6 says, And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more rain upon it. He said, I'm going to send judgment upon this nation, this vine, this this vineyard. And he did. You read the story. And they faced the judgment of God like maybe never been seen since the flood. For the vineyard, verse 7, this is what I was looking for. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. He continues to show forth the sins of the people. And he said, I've given you everything that I know to give you, but you've refused. And judgment is coming. And if you know from reading the prophets here in Isaiah, the people mocked and scoffed and refused to heed the warnings of the prophets. They didn't see the immediate judgment of God, so they went on as life was accustomed. But it came a day when Nebuchadnezzar's army came in and and overcame these people. God's the final judge, though He's merciful, He's just. There is a pending judgment upon the unfruitful tree. Thought number three, the hand of God's judgment can be withholden. We're not going to look at all these, but for Noah, it was his family and all that would have come into the ark. You say, no one came in with him. Yes, but I believe that all the people that Noah gave this righteous preaching to, if they would have accepted Christ and accepted the invitation to enter the ark, they too would have been spared because of Noah's preaching. We don't know anything about his family. It doesn't say anything negative of them prior to the flood. But we don't know them to be righteous. All we know is Noah was a righteous man. But God spared his family because of his righteousness. You think of Abraham. Pastor just preached a sermon last Sunday night, I think it was, about the intercession of Abraham for the, 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 the city, but then only Lot was spared. But because of Abraham, the hand of judgment was withholden for Lot. You remember the story of Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, when he was told he was going to die to get his house in order, he pleaded with God, and God spared his life and gave him additional years on his life. For Hezekiah, it was himself. Moses frequently withheld the hand of God's judgment over the house or the nation of Israel. For Jesus, it was the world. All men had an opportunity to be spared judgment because of the sacrificial gift of Jesus Christ himself. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 7, we find ourselves in the same place. It says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. See, we become a son in Christ. Jesus said, I don't call you servants anymore. 
Because the servant has things withholding from him. He says, I'm going to call you a son. You're my friend. Because the father tells you what he's going to do. We, as a believer, we find ourselves in a very crucial place where though we can't manipulate God, I think people maybe get confused on that, but we have an opportunity to be that salt that preserves and keeps the judgment of God from certain areas of life. Now you say, what areas can be withheld? I can't answer that question for you. We find Abraham, when he pleaded with God for Sodom and Gomorrah, multiple times, God said, yes, I'll withhold judgment if I can find so many righteous people. You remember that that story. People wonder what would have happened if he would have kept talking God down to the magic number. And maybe God would have withheld his hand of judgment. We don't know. But I know for Abraham, I think he was glad that he pleaded for Lot's case. God is the judge. The judgment of God will sooner or later be upon that which refuses to repent. And then we have an opportunity to be an advocate, to stand in the gap and intercede for the judgment that comes. As we think about this story, as we think about this picture that Jesus gives, I think it's safe to say that the present is the best time to deal with the barren tree. See, the, the keeper of the garden, the Lord of the garden, came in and said to the servant or the dresser, this, this fig tree is not working properly, nothing's happening here, can we get rid of it? He didn't have a day or a, an hour or a moment to spare. He immediately said, wait just a minute, Lord. Can we, can, we, can we negotiate this? Can we talk about this? Can you give me an opportunity to stand in the gap for this tree? That was maybe the only opportunity this tree had. He was, a, he was the first tree hugger that we, we have mentioned in the Bible. What a wonderful thing it was. for It was probably Earth Day right here in the story. And he stood in the way of this tree killer. We see, first of all, immediately is the best time. Pastors often said, when's the best time to plant an oak tree? And the answer is 25 years ago. But the second best time is today. Secondly, you're responsible to deal with your barren tree. So you remember previously in this story he tells, or this, this discussion he has with the people, he says, except ye... Unless you repent, you'll, you'll perish too. Here he says, except ye deal with this tree, it's going to get cut down. Unless you stand in the gap for this, whatever it is in your life, this unbarren fruit tree, it's going to be removed. Let's think of, look at four things, and this will really be the, the heart of the message. Number one, how to deal with your tree. All of us have things in our life that we know are important, but they're lacking their potential. Could be your relationship with your spouse. Could be your relationship with your parents. Could be your relationship with your children. Could be your involvement in the church. It could be a ministry you're a part of. Could be your 
focus on world evangelism. It could be your prayer life or your devotion to the Word of God. It could be a career desire or an education desire. There's an area of your life, all of us have them, we all have areas that we know this is, this is the spot in my life that has more potential. I ought to be dealing with this. It's not bearing fruit and I've just kind of avoided it. I wonder, what has this dresser been doing for three years? It's like he didn't even know this tree existed. He, he's supposed to be managing the garden, but there's a tree that has no fruit. Has he overlooked it? Has he avoided it? Has he continually said, one of these days I'll deal with that? Is he a procrastinator? I don't know. But here the opportunity came to either remove the tree or deal with it. And he chose to confront it. Number one, identify the issue. You remember the church at Laodicea, Jesus comes to them and he says, you're, you're backslidden in so many words. And he says, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove the Spirit of God from your you, you as a church, you're going to be a group of people meeting, but I'm not going to be there to meet with you. And one of the things that it said about them is they were blind. They couldn't see their own need. They, they were blind to identify the issue. They refused to see the real issue. You remember Josiah in the Old Testament, King Josiah, as an eight-year-old young man, he enters the throne And shortly after that, we don't know how old he is completely, but he begins to uh, rehab the temple, and there the the scrolls or the papers are found, and there was a book found, and they bring it to him, and he says, "This is." They tell him, "This is the law." They begin to read the law, the word of God. The Bible says he rinses his clothes and he weeps, and he says, "We've we we've been against God. He was ignorant to the truth, but when he saw the need, he said, "There it is. Let's deal with it." Except ye identify the issue, your tree continues to be unbarren, or or continues to be unfruitful, to be barren. You have a requirement, you have a responsibility to identify the issues in your life. Dad, you have a responsibility to identify the issues in your family. Parents have a responsibility to identify issues in their children. Friends, you have a responsibility to identify issues in your friends. Not that you can criticize them, but that you can help them, encourage them. As leaders in the ministry, you have a responsibility, a God-ordained responsibility, to identify areas of your ministry that need help. And that's where it really begins. It begins with us saying, this is the area, being honest and saying, this needs improvement. It's so easy to just blame it on someone else and say, well, if this person would do that or, or if this circumstance was changed. But Jesus said, no, 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 except ye. Except you deal with your, your tree. It remains unfruitful. Number one, identify the issue. Number two, determine the desire. Verse number seven says, Then said he unto the dresser, of the vineyard. Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit. He said, I keep looking for fruit. That's my desire for this tree. I want it to bear fruit. Sometimes I think we fail to see the potential in these areas of our life. Sometimes we fail to see the potential in ourselves. Sometimes it's easier to see potential in others than it is to see it in ourselves. But there are things that God's called you to do 
as a church, there are things God's called us to do. And I think if we want to be serious in our walk with God and, and serious in the ministries of the church and serious about fulfilling God's callings in our life, we're going to have to see the potential not only in ourselves, but to see it in other people. To see it in the church body. You know, all of us ought to have a desire for where, what we want to see our church and what, it, what it's doing, what it's, what it's achieving, what direction it's heading. You ought to want to see a desire, have a desire, see, have a vision for what you want your children to be doing as they mature and as they grow, and one day as they leave the house. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Where, where you don't see what God wants for your family or your marriage or your ministry or your business, there's going to be a, a time where it perishes. It's going to die. It's like driving down the road and, and not having a, a destination. You're just driving aimlessly. You're probably not going to end up where you want to go. You're going to get lost, right? Yet sometimes we just live our lives as if we're just going to keep on driving and one day we're going to arrive. But you're going to have to determine your desire and accept ye to determine your desire. You're not going to receive that desire. Number three, remove the hindrances. He said, let me, let me dig about it. Let me dig about this tree. He didn't say, you know, uh, somebody else could dig it or we'll see if the dirt washes away. He said, no, I'll take responsibility and I'm going to dig about it. Give me a chance to remove what might be a hindrance. Hebrews 12, we know the, the famous verse where it says, uh, lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. He says, lay aside every weight, the things that would weigh you down spiritually in your life or in your ministry, or in your relationship, the things that would hold you back, he said, lay them aside. And the sin. There are things that aren't sins that are slowing you down in your spiritual journey. And God tells us, to just lay them aside. Get rid of them. I've been reading through, if you're up to date, you're, you've been reading through this too. Paul's epistles to, um, we, we, we just finished... First Timothy, we started in Titus. We just read through Peter's um, writings, First and Second Peter. There was one theme that I think we, we started talking a little bit about this in our Sunday school. There's one theme that resounds in all of these. It's we're just we're pilgrims. We're we're traveling through earth not to build our destination dream home, but to look to heaven, as the song sang a little bit ago. Our, our, desire, our, our main focus, now that doesn't, if you read through First, First Timothy, you found that those that are rich in this world ought to be generous. He doesn't talk bad about those who are rich, but he says, be careful. And by the way, as Americans, we're all rich. We find ourselves, we're, we're the rich in that chapter. Compared to that first century church and the, the people that Timothy was involved in, we're all very wealthy. And he says, be careful because in riches, there's a temptation to start latching on to this world to where you're basically useless because you're so worldly-minded and focused on the temporal, you can't see to the eternal. Some of those hindrances need to be removed in our lives. Some of the things that may bog us down, we're so gadget-oriented. It's amazing to see people just watching people. People watching has never been more entertaining 
I mean, the, the, the magnet of phone to face is unreal. It's like people can't function without staring at a cell phone. And I think most of us, there's a, at least a temptation. But you watch people. Uh, I, the, the company I work for, I, I drive a truck. And I can remember I was in Columbia one day. And they were unloading my truck with a, a pretty large piece of equipment. And there was a construction fence up. If you can imagine this fence being here. My truck was parked on the curb. This big piece of equipment is picking up pipe and backing up to where it's almost hitting this, this skirting, this fence here. And here comes this. It happened to be in Columbia as a college kid, so that's part of it. Walking down with their phone, and literally, I'm hollering at this guy, stop, 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 this knucklehead's walking right behind you, has oblivious to it all. I'm thinking, how can you not hear? I mean, this truck's making loud noises, it's picking up 21-foot piece of pipe, and this, this gal, she doesn't care. She's, she's ready to risk her life for the sake of the next text message. I don't know what she's doing. And I'm th- you know, and that's just one you've seen... One day I hope to see it firsthand. You've seen the videos where people walk into the fountains. You know, they're walking along at the mall and they walk right into the pool because they're looking at their phones. And right now, that seems to be the the focus of people. I'm not preaching against cell phones. I'm real close to it, but I'm not doing it right now. I'm going to do that later. That's later on. I haven't determined that electronics are, are sinful. But I'm, I'm really close to that too. But there's a, there's a temptation for all of us to be weighed down, whatever it might be in your life. To be weighed down, it could be a, a job, your work might weigh you down. Where it's keeping you from the time that is, it ought to be spent in your family, ought to be spent in the ministry, but you, you're consumed with a job. Nobody ever said on their deathbed, I wish I would have worked a few more hours. Nobody will say one day, I wish I would have beat, beat that, you know, that final level of Fortnite or whatever it is. Nobody's going to say, I wish I could have sacrificed. Well, Caden might. <laughs> it's going to be his dying words. Wish I could have had one more Mountain Dew and I wish I would have gained one more level. No, we're going we're gonna to see the things that really mattered. And Jesus, all throughout the epistles of Paul and Peter, as they were persecuted, they were both one day martyred, they say, church, wake up and lay aside these things. They're holding you back. And one day you're going to regret giving so much time to these allurements and these, the, these passions that may not be sinful but they're keeping you from becoming this fruitful tree that God wants you to be. They're keeping you from investing in your home and investing time in your relationships and being the person that God's intended you to be. Except ye identify the issues, except ye determine the desire, except ye remove the hindrances, and finally, except ye replace with sustenance. You're going to have to replace what you remove with something that's more valuable. Or you're like the people that Jesus, the story Jesus tells, as the devils are removed from this person, the, the demons are cast out, and, and they wander around and they can't find rest, and they, they return to this same person, and they find a house that's swept and cleaned and garnished, and they say, let's, let's lodge here. The man removed the evils, but he didn't replace with righteousness, and the same evil, and it says that he brought with him more demons than before. The, the man that was cleansed of these evils 
found even more evils to replace them with because he failed to replace with righteousness. Now, I can't give you a magic, you know, big three. You could say Bible, prayer, and the Holy Spirit, you know. Replace it with that and you'll be good. For every area of your life, for whatever tree is failing, there's a certain bit of sustenance that you can replace with it. It might be more work in that area. It might be devoting more time or at least the right kind of time. It might be becoming more organized in this, this uh, you know, as you plan and as you prepare in this ministry or in this desire, this career desire, or, or in your Bible reading or in your scheduling. It might be more faith. It might be more study. For every tree that, for, for this physical tree, it requires good organic material to be replaced. But for you, you know what it is. What you replace it with, it needs to be better than what you took out, right? You need to replace it with, not even just better, it needs to be what needs to be there. He could have removed this poor, do- this poor soil and added rock and it wouldn't have been better, right? He could have removed the poor soil and added a bag of quickcrete and that wouldn't have helped it any. He had to remove the soil but replace it, not with just something different, but with something that, that had benefit, that had nutrients, that had a a bit of substance that would cause it to grow. As the choir sang a little bit ago, one day he will return for us. And when we all, the saved, get to heaven, I had one issue where it said, you know, one day we'll be free indeed. Uh, no, we're free right now indeed. I know what the song meant. One day we're going to lay aside all the toils of this world. We're going to lay aside the problems that we face. But can I tell you today that Christ has freed us and given us a purpose to be here. I think that's one reason we're, we're losing our young people, we're losing families even in, in the Christian realm. You see, a, Jesus told us about it, there would be a great turning away. And we see it day by day, not, not necessarily here in our church, but just worldwide even. You look at the, the typical home or the typical family in America, and, and there's an absence of godliness. There's an absence of righteousness. There's an absence of purity. Just read that powerful verse, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto the you know, the, the, the evil and the defiled. He said all things are defiled. We're living in a world where to the majority of man, their mind is corrupt. Their lives have become just a, a, a wasteland of immorality and impurities. And why, why do we fail to capture the heart of our young people? Why do we fail to see people fulfill their purpose? I think one of the greatest needs that we have is they've never seen what their purpose even is. I was talking to our first, second, and third graders today. We've been really focusing on missions. We've been studying geography the last few weeks. We learned where... What's the name of our country that we learned last week? Somebody needs to help me out. Spitzenbergen. I bet you don't know where that... Your first, second, and third graders know where it is. 
we, we, we threw, basically we threw a dart at the map and just found a new country. Spitzenbergen was what it was. It's north of Russia if you want to find the map. But I'm trying to at least in some way give them, and I talked to him today, I said one day God might call you to be a missionary. We picked on Gianna. She thinks her mom would like if she moves far north where it's really cold. Right? No, she, we decided her dad would prefer that. But I'd love to see some of these children get an idea that maybe God couldn't use me to go to a foreign field and preach the gospel. Maybe God use, could use me even here to influence a missionary who's in a foreign field. Maybe God could use me to fulfill His plan to evangelize the world. See, we all have a purpose tonight. But if you fail to see your purpose, you, you fail to see the potential of your tree, you're going to fail to do anything with it. But here's the bottom line. It requires you to see these things. See, young people, your parents or your pastor or your teachers can't see it for you and do it for you. It requires you to make the decision. Dads, nobody can make the decisions in your home for you. Moms, no one can make the decision for you. Teachers and leaders, no one can make these decisions for you, except ye. Jesus always turned the conversation and looked people eyeball to eyeball and said, except you do something with this, it's not going to make any difference. Except you receive the word of God, it will not change your life. For these people, he looked at them very sternly and said, Except ye repent, ye shall perish eternally. See, salvation is a free gift, but it requires you to receive it. It requires a recipient. I wonder tonight, have you become a recipient of the free gift of God? Have you received this life? Have you received the eternal, redemptive power that comes through the grace of God when you accept Christ as your Savior? If you personally have never received that, you stand in the same condemnation that these folks stood. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Except ye take care of your tree, it too will perish.